What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode one of the Been There, Done That podcast. I am your host, Ben Sullivan, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself before we jump in. All right. Uh, My name is Ben, like I told you. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, and so as you may have guessed, I'm a huge Chiefs fan, and that's going to be a big talking point for us on this show, on this podcast. All right. Um... Yeah, I currently live in Hot Springs, Arkansas. I work for K-Life. I work in ministry and youth ministry. Uh, Super awesome job. Hopefully, in the coming weeks and maybe the coming months, um, we'll get an opportunity to bring some of the students on the show um, because one of my favorite things to do with students when we're hanging out, we just love talking about sports. We love arguing, debating sports, all that that fun stuff. We do it all the time. Uh, It gets a little heated. You know, me, the 26-year-old, getting in heated arguments with 8th graders. Well, I mean, what could be more fun than that, you know? And so we're going to have some of them on, hopefully, at some point, um, and, and, and dish it out, or hash it out, if you will. Um, and it's going to be a fun time, and so looking forward to that. Uh, but today, we're going we're gonna to go over a few things. We're going we're gonna to make some predictions. We're going to look to this wild card week in the NFL and see what's going on, look at the games, look at the matchups, and make some predictions. Uh, we're going to look at the Chiefs. Uh, where they're sitting right now, um, and just kind of an outlook on where they're at, just position by position, and just also giving a chance to kind of enjoy this week, you know, the first round bye, Chiefs get to sit back, it is impossible for the Chiefs to get knocked out of the playoffs this week, because of that first round bye, so we love that, uh, we'll we'll give a little update, we'll give some information on where the Chiefs are at, and then to wrap it up, we'll give, we'll we'll look a little bit into the college football playoff um, just the final for Monday, and we'll go over just the landscape of college football, where we're at right now. Um, and so, yeah, that's what this show's going to look like. All right, so without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into it. So, NFL Wild Card Weekend, or as they're calling it, Super Wild Card Weekend. All right, first matchup of the weekend, we have the Seahawks at the 49ers. All right, that's your Saturday Um what time? 3.30 game this upcoming Saturday. Um, we have Seahawks, as you know, kind of fallen off a little bit here towards the end of the season. Um, kind of stumbled into the playoffs, but they got the job done. They got the job done in Week 18 against the Rams. Um, it didn't look pretty, but they made it. And they are traveling once again to San Francisco, um, who is as hot as anyone in the NFL right now. Have not lost a game in 10 weeks. Um, as many of you know, their last loss coming to Kansas City, uh, but that's not what we're talking about right now. Um, they are on a they are on a big win streak, um, playing very well. Um, seventh round rookie at quarterback, but this it just doesn't really seem to matter. Um, when you look at this this roster, they have Pro Bowlers, they have all Pro caliber players in every position group. Um, I mean, they're just so deep at every position, right? Um, but what we do know. Seventh round rookie quarterback. That just leaves a big question mark, right? Um, in terms of their Super Bowl chances, maybe. That's a, but that's a conversation maybe down the road. Uh, but what we do know, one game at a time. You play the game that's you play the team that's in front of you. You play the team on your schedule, as we like to say. And the team that's on their schedule right now is the Seahawks. Um, and the Niners, even though with a seventh round rookie quarterback. They are still 10-point favorites in this one. They are still your, a double-digit favorite, which we don't often see in the playoffs. 
um, except maybe recently now, obviously, we've added this seventh team uh, so the NFL can have another game. Um, that's also a different discussion for another time. But the two versus seven, um, I think that is something we're going to start seeing more often um, as we go along with this system is uh, obviously these bigger point spreads of teams who probably don't deserve to be in the playoffs. If we're being honest with ourselves, when we look at both the Seahawks and on the other side of the, the bracket, the Dolphins, all right, probably two teams, you know, especially without Tua, uh, just a couple teams that really aren't all that exciting, you know. Do they really deserve to be in the playoffs? Um, or do we just want another game to televise, you know? Again, that can be a different discussion. We don't have to get into that. Uh, but as far as this game is concerned, I just don't see any way the Seahawks come in uh, and shock the world. Right, 10-point underdogs for a reason, um, even here in the playoffs. Uh, now, now obviously, this is a divisional matchup. These, team, these teams are pretty familiar with each other. Um, but at the end of the day, we've seen that doesn't always matter, right? Chiefs, for example, here I go looking, talking about the Chiefs again. It doesn't always matter. Uh, 49ers are better, in my opinion, at pretty much every position outside of maybe receiver. You could maybe make an argument um, that the, the Seahawks receiving core is better uh, at the one and the two, assuming they're both healthy. Um, but with that, I just, I, I don't see it. The Seahawks, the, the Niners are just so deep. Uh, best defense in the NFL, in my opinion. Um, and Seahawks have not done a great job at slowing down potent offenses this year. Um, it's supposed to be good weather. I don't see it happening. Uh, I've got 49ers 34-20 to 20, moving on to the divisional round. Our next matchup, we have the Chargers at the Jaguars. All right. This is an interesting matchup. Absolutely. This is uh, your 4-5, your okay? Um, and we see the – actually, since I've started talking, the line on this game has actually moved a little bit. Chargers have gone from a one-point favorite, and now Chargers are minus two. Okay, so Chargers have moved to a two-point favorite against the Jaguars, who have been playing really well down the stretch. They are a fun team, right? Um, second year quarterback Trevor Lawrence who had all the tools coming out of college he was he was one of the best NFL prospects we'd ever seen coming out of college um, and usually what that means is you're going to go join a team that's got nothing you know there's you're going to get per picked first overall for a reason to a team that mo that usually does not have a whole lot of talent um, but but uh, I mean Great, uh, pretty solid job um, by the GM of of building a, a more competent roster around him, adding some adding some, some receivers. Um, their their left tackle Cam Robinson's playing great, um, and then obviously adding some very important defensive pieces like um, Trayvon Walker, that also number one overall pick, and then Rayshon Jenkins is kind of all over the place. Um, Josh Allen's playing well, so um, and Aluakon, the the linebacker who's led the NFL in tackles. So again, this this is a fun Jacksonville team. This is a fun Jags team, right? We haven't. It's not a not a thing we say all that often. That man, I enjoy watching these Jags, but man, I do. They're fun to watch. Um, you never can be super sure what you're going to get from them. We've seen them lay a few eggs here and there, which is I think to be expected from a young team. Um, but as they go up against the Chargers, one thing we know about the Chargers is we just don't know what to expect. As much as we think that about the Jags, I think you could say that's even more more so the case for the Chargers, right? You know, 
Um, Chargers finished the season pretty strong. They, since their loss to the Chiefs, they have won every game until this past weekend against the Broncos, which we'll get to that in a second. But in the month or so, month and a half or so, since their game against the Chiefs, they've been playing really well. They've won all their games. Uh, Herbert is looking like a top talent in the league, which I believe he is in terms of talent. Um, we're still waiting a little bit for that to translate into the wins. Now, I understand he's had teammates injured his whole career. It, it feels like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams can never get on the field at the same time. But um, with that, they're both, as of right now, supposed to be there and be healthy. And we know what kind of weapons, uh, what kind of damage they can do when they're all on the field together. Um, obviously, you can't talk about the Chargers without talking about Austin Eckler. Um, just a catching machine. Uh, granted, I think a lot of his receptions, you know, he's not your your per, your, what's that, what am I trying to say here? Catches, you catch and run guy. He is a lot of a lot of dump offs and screens and, and short gains here and there, but it's it's just the the chip away mentality that that Austin Eckler gets you you know over four quarters, where it's like man I'm tired of tackling this guy, um, so yeah just a, a real a real weapon out of the backfield, uh, really potent offense a lot of a lot of big names defensively, um, that it hasn't necessarily translated for the Chargers uh, throughout the year playing defense. Um, but we do know they have some guys. They've got some dogs, if you will. Um, I mean, Khalil Mack and, and Joey Bosa, when those guys are right, that can just be, I mean, that pass rush could be elite. That could be a top-tier pass rush if those guys are both right. Um, now, Mack hasn't quite been himself this year, um, and Bosa, we know he's been a little bit banged up here and there, so we're not totally sure what to expect from him in this, in this matchup here. Uh, but we do know if those guys figure it out, that is going to, they are forced to be reckoned with. Okay. And then obviously some, some really solid pieces in the secondary, same thing. Um, big name, like JC Jackson, uh, Derwin James, some of these guys just elite level talents. And it's a matter of them coming together and putting together full performance. Okay. So all that being said, um, we saw what happened last week with the chargers. I mean, I, I still, I, I, I tried to think, put myself in Brandon Staley's shoes thinking, man, why, why do I need to play my starters here into the fourth quarter? We are locked in the five seed. The Ravens lost. We cannot move up. We cannot move down. We are locked in at the five. All right, so I'm putting myself in his shoes, man. Why Why would I want to play my starters? Justin Herbert, who's been a little banged up here and there. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, who have been banged up kind of essentially all year. Uh, we've been dealing with injuries all year, but, but Brandon Staley still decided to play his starters into the third quarter. Well, I mean... If I'm not mistaken, almost in the fourth quarter, um, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but it's also concerning because when the starters finally came out, they were they were losing 31 to 20, right? So I mean, they were down by two scores when they took the starters out, and so what's it just doesn't it's not adding up, you know? Something's a little off, um, and we this has just been a historical thing for the Chargers of. They look like they have all the talent in the world, but they're just some question marks, some things that just don't make sense, and they fall apart at the wrong time. Something explodes, um, and I just get the feeling that's what's going to happen here um, as, as the Chargers continue to move a little bit with the line um, as they're now a two-point favorite, and Jacksonville coming off a bit of a shaky week, uh, being able to play in their home field again. 
Um, now that they made it into the playoffs, and keep in mind, these two teams played earlier in the year. All right, and I know there were some injuries involved uh, back in Week Three, but the Chargers got rocked by the Jaguars in Week Three. Okay, Jaguars won thirty-eight to ten, and this is this is why the Jaguars were still also not playing well either. Okay, and so there might be something going on with the matchups here um, that we'll see, but uh, I like the Jaguars in this one. I'm going to go with the Jaguars, 29-27. to 27. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think there's going to be some, some big plays, but I think there's also going to be a couple mistakes on both sides by both quarterbacks. Um, and then at the end of the day, I think the, the Jaguars are going to be uh, are, are the better coach team. Doug Peterson's going to find a way, um, and I like the Jaguars to win outright. All right, so let's move on to the next game. We've got Dolphins at Bills. Um, as this is being recorded within the last 15 minutes, it's been, um, it's been announced that Tua is out versus the Bills. Okay, so Tua is once again out. Um, and this is, by the way, this is going to be on Sunday. This is a noon kickoff game on Sunday. Um, and we know, like I said, Tua's not in. And so what that means, it's Teddy Bridgewater still questionable, uh, from what I'm hearing. Um, Doubtful, I believe. Uh, from everything we're hearing, it's that Skylar Thompson is going to be in. And if Skylar Thompson is in, I think we look to um, the 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 term coined by Nick Wright last year, uh, "better than a buy." I think I think you could plug that in here. Um, I just can't come up with a scenario in my head to say Skylar Thompson goes into Buffalo in the playoffs after everything they've been through and comes up with a win. Now, that being said, I know the Dolphins have still played well against the Bills this year. Obviously, they've split their, their season series. They've gone 1-1. One and one. And Tua, the Tua-led Dolphins went into Buffalo about a month ago and gave them all they wanted. Okay. And and also with that, the Bills have also not been playing well. I know they're thirteen and three, and they've won the games um, they're they're supposed to, and they've won. Um, forgot the number off the top of my head, six or seven in a row. They've won several games in a row. Um, but for those of us who have watched the Bills, we know they're, they're just something that's not quite clicking. Every single game, even when they're playing lower level competition, it's just not all coming together. Um, whether it's Josh Allen with with the turnovers, um, which. He's got 19 giveaways this season, uh, which is a lot, and he's got five red zone picks. All right, that is an issue, um, especially in the playoffs. Okay, uh, and we've seen that before. Like just uh, how crucial it is to hold on to the ball in the playoffs. Um, Bills know all about that from going to Kansas City. Every possession counts, right? Um, now I'm not saying the Dolphins are the Chiefs. I'm not saying the Bills have to worry about giving 13 seconds to the Dolphins. But what I do know is that at some point when you turn the ball over this much and your defense is a little shaky, a little inconsistent, like they were against Patriots in Week 18, against Mac Jones, who had done nothing all year, uh, but he still moved the ball pretty effectively against this, this Bills team there in Week 18. And so I like the Bills to win this one. I think it's a little bit more back and forth than we might expect for most of it. Um, but And then I think the Bills do what they've done several times this year in the fourth quarter against teams they're better than. Um, just a takeaway here, um, a big, a, a great throw from Josh Allen, um, and a couple of just big plays here and there to seal it uh, and pull away and make the score look 
a little bit more like a blowout than it was, and I like the Bills 31-16 to 16 in this matchup. Um, moving on to the next game on Sunday, we have the Giants at the Vikings. All right. This is, in my opinion, the most inter- interesting matchup of the Super Wildcard Weekend. Okay, Giants at Vikings. This is a, a rematch uh, from a game from a few weeks ago where the Vikings won at the gun um, at the last second against uh, the, these Giants on their home field. And it came down to a 61-yard field goal uh, at, at the gun from Greg Joseph. And... Man, it was a great game. And from everything we're hearing about the with the Vikings and the Giants, the Giants, you know, coming off of week 18 where they were they were able to rest a lot of their starters. Um you know, that can be helpful. That can be big. Now, the Vikings weren't necessarily in, you know, some big barn burner last week. Um but the Giants, there's something about the Giants that just feels right right now, you know. Uh, they're playing really well the last couple of weeks. They've they've got their starters a chance to rest, and the Vikings are maybe the most unpredictable team in the NFL. You know, they they either win in a miraculous way, or they'll lose by thirty points. It's you take your pick, right? And and so with that, I, I just the way the Giants play, um, they're dependent on the run, not just from Saquon Barkley, who by the way is a, a, just a tank. He's a unit. Um, but also with Daniel Jones and, and their running game, right? I just, um, which is great. That's how they play, which is fine. Um, and Brian Dable is probably should be coach of the year. Um, if not, he's a top three candidate for coach of the year. Um, but all that being said, uh, with the Vikings, yeah, they can't stop anybody. They have a hard time stopping the run. I think the giants are going to run all over. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the, the spot that our league is in right now, that the NFL is in, you've got to be able to throw the ball. Uh, when it comes down to it, at the end of the game, if it's you've got a minute and 15 seconds, one timeout, and the length of the field to go score a touchdown, which one of these teams do you trust more to put together a, a minute drive um, based on their weapons, right? Are you going to take Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Thielen, Hawkinson, or are you going to take Daniel Jones, Barkley, um, and this kind of hodgepodge collection of receivers. Now, they've played well, um, but at the end of the day, you look on the other side, who the Vikings got, Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, should be Offensive Player of the Year, um, on pace to be one of the best receivers we've ever seen um, at, at this trajectory that he's going, right? Um, and from what we've seen from the Vikings this year, I just they're winning all their games uh, by one score, essentially, and... I like the Vikings in this one. I know a lot of people are right now they're three point favorites, and I think that is a a pretty solid line in this one. Um, I like the Giants thirty three to thirty. I like this to be a high scoring game. Um, a lot of action, very, very entertaining. Uh, but again, in 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 Vikings fashion, I like them to to win it late with a field goal. Um, or potentially even a touchdown, um, and I like them to go up three, uh, win the game by three against the Giants here in Super Wild Card Weekend. All right, uh, moving on to Sunday night, we've got the Ravens at the Bengals. Okay, 
once again, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, we don't know exactly what the Ravens situation is looking like yet. Is Lamar going to play? Is Tyler Hunt- Huntley going to play? Um, you know, we we don't know for sure who's going to be in at quarterback for Baltimore, but it uh, it makes a difference. Okay, it it absolutely matters. Um, you know, when you look at at whether it's Lamar, whether it's uh, Huntley or Anthony Brown, who's who played for them last week, uh, maybe he was in to give a, a little bit more of a rest to Lamar or or Huntley, whoever's going to play. But essentially, what we know is that. At least I say what we know. What we've seen is that Huntley and Anthony Brown, all respect to them, they're not Lamar Jackson. They don't. They just don't have that the X factor, that it factor that that you see from Lamar Jackson, um, former MVP. Um, and so I think the Ravens are in a tough spot here, um, especially with Lamar. Who know, we don't know what his future looks like. Um, that's kind of unsure. Um, but we do know. I think if the Ravens want any have any chance to win this game, Lamar's going to have to play. Um, and right now the line is at seven. Right, Cincinnati, Cincinnati is a seven-point favorite right now, and I think that's a, a line that's assuming Lamar Jackson won't play uh, because you know what over the last month and a half would lead us to believe that he's playing every single week. It is it's, it's essentially being pushed back. Oh, he's going to play next week. Oh, he's going to play next. Oh, he's going to play next. But he never does. Um, and so we just don't know, and we we've got to go out, you know, with the information we've got, which is that he most likely won't play. And and regardless of whether, um, you know, whether it's it's Huntley or it's Brown, whoever's in, I just don't see either one of those guys going in to Cincinnati and leading their team to victory. Now, with that being said, I think the Ravens have one of the five best defenses in the league. Um, and and they actually did a pretty nice job of slowing down Cincinnati last week. All right, you look at the score, and Cincinnati, it looked kind of like a blowout, but it really wasn't. Um, Baltimore just turned the ball over four times. And with that, I think if if the Ravens can hold on to the ball, if you know, if they can stop turning the ball over, and continue to play the solid defense, and get a couple good drives from whoever's in at quarterback. I, I I think they can compete, right? It's a d- divisional game. Ravens have, have been a playoff team in the past. They're really well coached, very good defensive team. But at the end of the day, Joe Burrow is still that guy. Jamar Chase, still that guy, right? The the Bengals offense is just too much. Um, I, I, I like the Ravens to be able to slow them down a little bit here and there. But at the end of the day, we've seen Joe Burrow's done this. We've seen this. Um, the second half of the season, and we see we saw it in the playoffs last year. Um, when it matters most in the situation, situationally, right? We know um, the Bengals are as good as it gets. And once again, if it comes down to one final drive, and you know if, if it's a tie game, or if the Ravens are even up by by three or four points, and you have got to go get a score, there's a, a minute thirty on the clock. I trust Joe Burrow and and all those weapons. Um, to go get a t- to go get a touchdown. So, um, I like Cincinnati in this one uh, by four. I like them twenty-four to twenty. Uh, so I, I like Baltimore to cover uh, based on the defense. I think this is a little bit low, more of a low-scoring game. But I do like um, the Bengals to win 
24 to 20. All right, and then the last matchup of Super Wild Card Weekend, we have the Cowboys at the Bucks. Okay, man, where to even begin with this one? Um, we'll start with the Cowboys, the road team. I mean, my goodness, what Cowboys team are you going to get? Okay, we've seen all kinds of different things from the Cowboys this year. We've seen them look dominant over some other playoff team. We saw them hammer the Vikings. Um, we've seen them score 30 points in a quarter. Um, but we've also seen them lose to this Buccaneers team. I mean, what was it? 19 to three in week one. Um, you know, and we, we saw them lay an egg last week in Washington, a game in their minds, you know, all their starters are playing. They feel like we want to win this game. We're going to play all of our guys. But again, they, they just didn't show up. Um, and it worries me. Um, when picking the Cowboys, so you just you just don't know what team you're going to get, right? Lots of great individual talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, Diggs, he's great. He's a top ten corner. Um, Parsons, one of the best pass rushers in the league, one of the best overall defensive players in the league. Um, all kinds of great, you know, these guys on the defense that are really good players. It's a matter of can they can they bring it together. And even last week with the with the Washington game, they didn't play terrible defensively. Really, what it comes down to is Dak. You know, um, and that that's where we're at in our league. How's your quarterback playing? Is he turning the ball over? And Dak led the NFL in interceptions, but he only played 12, 12 games. He missed five games and still led the NFL in interceptions. Let, okay, think about that. Um, that's that's what worries me more than anything about the Cowboys. Okay, um, Dak is just turning it over at such an alarming rate you know um and it's you just don't know you never know with Dak he's put on some great performances but he's just not looked great recently turning the ball over um but then the other side of the ball you got the Buccaneers okay what's what's the lesson we've all learned right we've learned you don't count the Bucks out let me rephrase that you don't count Tom Brady out <laughs> uh this is a lesson we've learned for really a decade now, when we thought Tom Brady's career was going to start winding down, we started counting him out. Boom, there's another three Super Bowls. How do you like that? Um, and so, you know, with that, it's it's hard for me to look at this game and think, like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to look at this game and be like, I know exactly what's going to happen because Tom Brady, he's put up some solid numbers this year, but he, he also led the league in, in pass completions, but also in pass attempts. He set an NFL record for how much he threw the ball this year. I think part of that was because they were behind quite a bit. Um, and they also, their run game just hasn't really been there. Um, uh, defensively, they're still pretty solid, in my opinion. Uh, they've got some, especially up front, they are pretty stout. Um, but at the end of the day, the offense, once again, that's that's the league. That's the league these days. Is the offense has to make it happen. Offense has to get it done. Um, and so I think if the Buccaneers can keep it close and keep it, um, to a one possession game by the, by the end of it, um, I, I actually, I like the Bucks to win this one. I like it to be another close, low scoring game where you got some field goals and, and different things like that. I like Cowboys to beat the Bucks 16, no, sorry. Um, uh, the Bucks to beat the Cowboys 16 to 14. Okay. And for those of you who are looking into the betting, um, right now Dallas is a two and a half point favorite. Okay, um, I like I said, I like the Buccaneers to win outright. It's another one of those things. I like the 
I think this is going to be a low-scoring game, a lot of punts, a couple turnovers here and there. Um, but at the end of the day, what it's going to come down to is, again, like, I've been, like I mentioned with a handful of other games, if Tom Brady and the, and the Bucks have the ball with a minute and a half, you know, and they've got to go get a field goal, you know, they're down by a point. I trust Tom Brady in these moments. I know it, it hasn't been there this year. They have not consistently put up any anything to, to believe or help me believe that they're going to put anything together. But at the end of the day, it is Tom Brady. We've seen it more times than we can count. And we've learned our lesson, I believe. At least I have, I feel like. And so here at the end of the game, if Tom Brady's got the ball in a minute to go get a field goal, I like the Bucks in this one. Um, in a close defensive game, thank you, Joe Buck. And Troy Aikman, for your service to us this year on maybe the worst slate of Monday night games we've ever seen, you know, back to Colts Broncos. It, it just feels like that's what it's been all year. A bunch of laughers, a bunch of punt fest, all these different things. Um, and I think they've got another one coming up on Monday night. So thank you for your service, Mr. Buck, Mr. Aikman. We appreciate you. And that is going to wrap it up for the wild card predictions. All right. Um, so just to recap that, I like 49ers to win 34-20. I like Jacksonville to win 29-27. I like Buffalo 31-16. I like Minnesota over the Giants 33-30. I like Cincy over Baltimore 24-20. And I like Tampa Bay over Dallas 16-14. to um, And that is going to wrap up the predictions for the wild card weekend. So how about that? Segment one check all right now we are going to move into the chiefs and we're going to talk some about the chiefs um that's where my heart really is and you know i do know of course it's great news the chiefs don't play this week that they, they have a bye um, but there's always part of me that's like man i kind of wish they would you know what are, i don't have anything to get that excited about <laughs> when the chiefs don't play because uh, I'm one of those guys, I mean, my whole fall, I schedule my entire week around when are the Chiefs playing, um, and I just don't miss it, and, you know, so when the Chiefs don't play, sometimes I'm in, in one of those modes of like, man, what do I do? Now, granted, there's going to be some uh, some other playoff games on, it's going to be fun, um, but I will miss watching the Chiefs, but it's good, because we get to, we know they're they're getting to rest, and, and you know, get get in the right state to be able to play whoever it is the following week, following week, uh, most likely going to be the winner of LA and Jacksonville. Um, but as far as where the chiefs are right now, this is what I think. Where else can you start? But with Patrick Mahomes, right? I mean, the class of the NFL, as good as it gets the gold standard, uh, a match made in heaven with Andy Reid, right? Another 5,000-yard season. He got it in 16 games. I know people like to look at the all these records not being broken. Of, oh, they don't count. It's the 17 game. Like that's that's where we're on. Like the NFL season is 17 games now. Um, but Mahomes still for the people who who like to say that you know he he got to his 5,000 in 16 games. He got the 40 touchdowns. Um, this last week he broke the record for most total yards. Um, by a single player in a season, uh, passing Drew Brees' record, and came up a couple hundred yards short of the single passing yards record, right? Um, and so, 
I mean, yeah, he's going to win MVP. He is the straw that stirs the shake, if you will, on this team. Um, and, and we've seen that over the years. The Chiefs have, have put together some decent rosters. They've had some solid defenses, some good running backs. Obviously, they they're always seem to have tight end figured out. Um, but they've just never had that guy at quarterback. But now they have that guy at quarterback, you know? I mean, there there's not a whole lot else you can say. Uh, anyone that's watched football at all in the last five years knows who Mahomes is and that he's that guy, right? Um, and so as long as Mahomes is the quarterback, the Super Bowl window is open. And it says a lot about who he is, you know, losing Tyreek Hill, one of the three best receivers in the NFL. And what does he do? He improves. He gets better. He makes the other guys on the team better. Right? He completed passes to who knows how many players. I mean, there was there were multiple games this year, I'm, I'm pretty sure, where he completed passes to nine or ten different receivers. Right? And, and he, you know, you lose Tyreek Hill, you lose that dyna- dynamic speed, um, that, that home run threat, but it's, it's like they just didn't skip a beat. It just doesn't matter. Um, and so that's why I feel good about the Chiefs and where they're at, regardless of who else is there. Um, and a big part of that too is his favorite weapon, Travis Kelsey, right? Mr. Consistency, right? He, I mean, he's now into his mid thirties. Uh, he's been around, he's one of the longest tenured chiefs. Um, but he's still in a class of his own at tight end, right? He, I mean, there's just no one else that is even in the conversation with him, in my opinion, you know, I mean, you just look at the numbers. I mean, they just, it's pretty simple. Yeah, he, here he is age, I believe he's 34, um, and playing out of his mind, playing better than any other tight end in the league by a significant margin, okay? Um, and some people like to bring this argument of, oh, he's not a good blocker, George Kittle's a way better blocker, or, like, or whatever you want to say. Like That's just kind of ridiculous. I mean, look at what he's done in in the passing game. I mean, he, he's top... What is he? I have to. I have to double check this. I think. I believe he's second in the NFL in receiving touchdowns. Um, I want to say he's top ten in yards and top five or five to eight in receptions. Okay. I mean, he's putting up wide receiver one numbers, and he's been doing it for years, right? I mean, he's not. Why would you want to take him? Why would you want to take someone who puts up wide receiver one numbers and turn him into a blocker? I. That, I mean, that's just kind of a silly. I mean, it's just ridiculous, in my opinion. Um, the The impact he has in the game through the air and through the, like yards after the catch, it's unparalleled. Okay, um, and we could do this another time. We can have a discussion about who's the greatest tight end of all time. Um, I think Travis Kelsey is firmly in that conversation. Um, you can talk about Gonzalez because of the longevity. Um, you can talk about Gronk because of the per game and because of the few rings. Um, granted tight ends aren't necessarily the ones they're not, you know, they're not judged as much on rings as quarterbacks are. But, um, I think for those are the two other guys that, and a lot of people mind, he still hasn't passed. Um, and you know, we'll do, we'll talk about that sometime down the road, but I do think it's important to note that Travis Kelsey has seven consecutive 1000 yard seasons. Okay. Not total. Uh, seven consecutive. He's done it seven times in a row. And no other tight end in NFL history has done that more than three times in a row. Okay. 
I mean, just let that sink in for a second. How dominant and consistently dominant he has been over the course of his career. Um, being that guy for Patrick Mahomes, I mean, it's, again, it's just, we are in the golden age of Chiefs football because of, number one, because of number 15. A lot of numbers there. Because of Patrick Mahomes um, and his favorite weapon, number 87, Travis Kelsey. It just doesn't get any better, right? Um, so we know about those two guys. Uh, we know about the the damage they can do, even in 13 seconds. Um, but there's another thing that's going on this year that I think is very important. Okay, we look at the the offensive line, especially the interior of the offensive line. It, it's, I mean, I think you can make the argument it's the best interior, you know, guard center guard in the NFL uh, with Joe Tooney um, and Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. Uh, this was treated out, tr- tweeted out this morning uh, by Dov Kleiman. I hope I'm saying that right, on Twitter. Um, the stats from ESPN Analytics, the win rate rankings of offensive linemen. Okay, and we're looking at, for the guard, Joe Tooney's number one, 99% pass block win rate. Okay, Trey Smith, the, right, the Chiefs' right guard, 96. Okay, so the Chiefs have the number one and number three best pass blockers according to the ESPN analytics in the NFL and then at center they also have number one Creed Humphrey is number one he wins 98 percent of his pass blocks I mean you can't get much better than that right um, and, and even on the outside uh, as I'm looking at this graphic here Andrew Wiley uh, it says he's won 93 percent of his um, of his pass blocks which Wiley in, in most people's eyes has been kind of the weak spot on the Chiefs offensive line this year um where Orlando Brown Jr. has been up and down, but he's had some really good moments, some good stretches. Um, and it's left us kind of looking at Andrew Wiley as kind of the weak link. But, uh, I mean, as we're seeing right here, and as we look at the total sack numbers on the year, Mahomes has not been sacked all that much uh, towards the bottom of the league uh, and pressure rate percentage. Um, and that's the key thing here is percentage, right? When you look at the total number of pass um, pass rushes, I guess, t- uh, pressures put on the quarterback. Mahomes, especially early on, was among the league leaders, and the line was having some issues. Um, but then as the season goes on, you really start looking at the numbers. He was not, I mean, the percentage of times where he's pressured is not all that much, okay? He, uh, as, as much as the Chiefs throw the ball, because of the volume, the numbers, uh, of course, there's going to be more in terms of pressures, like he's going to be pressured a higher number of times than other guys, other teams who don't throw the ball that much. But at the end of the day, the percentages are lower. Okay. The, the pass blocking, um, especially the last, the second half of the season has been great. And it's a big reason why Mahomes is able to do what he has been able to do. And that's a big credit to Brett Veach, right? They give Patrick Mahomes this 10 year, I mean, just mega contract, and the first thing they do to follow it up is is put a good offensive line around him, right? And we saw in the Super Bowl against the Buccaneers why that was necessary, okay? Mahomes, right, we know he got paid uh, the big bucks. And with an investment, when you invest that much into anything, what even if just even outside the NFL, just in life, if you put that much of an investment in something, if you, if you spend a ton of money on a brand new car, you're not going to... You want to make sure it's got all the right thing. You don't. You're not going to put, you know, bad tires on it. You're not going to. 
you're not just going to let it sit out in the hail or you know drive through a mud puddle. Well, I don't I don't know. But at the end of the day, you're you investing. Uh, you want to make sure you have the good the good insurance on the car, right? I don't know a whole lot about a cars, but what I do know is that the Chiefs put a lot of stock and investment into Patrick Mahomes as they should have. And the first thing they did to follow that up was to to put some is to kind of revamp that offensive line. And clearly, they've done a great job with that. The best interior offensive line in the league, especially on passes, on passing attempts. And then uh, two guys on the outside, on the bookends, the uh, Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley, of guys who are, are getting better, right? They're nobody's, you know, number one pick if we're doing, if we're ranking the tackles. Uh, but they are solid and they're getting the job done. They're working together um, and letting Mahomes and the offense, you know, be what they are. Which is great. Which is what uh, which is what the Chiefs are all about, and it starts up front. Okay, and I and I, with that being said, I purposely put the offensive line ahead of the running backs, uh, because before I jump into the running backs, I want it to be clear. I I think most of the NFL running backs are relatively interchangeable. Okay, and by that I mean I just don't you know. We've seen this so many times from the Chiefs over the years of different random guys who show up and really excel in Chiefs offense like Niall Davis. Um, obviously, we know we have, you know, a decade plus. When you look back that far, you've got Priest Holmes. Actually, we'll go back even farther. we got, you know, Christian Okoye, um, Marcus Allen, and then into Priest Holmes, Larry Johnson, Jamal Charles. I mean, some of the best Chiefs are, I mean, Chiefs always have running back figured out is kind of what, what I'll leave it there. But after, you know, post Jamal Charles, you've got guys like Niall Davis. Um, and then obviously Kareem Hunt comes in and he's leads the, the, the league in r- rushing, excuse me, leads the league in rushing his rookie year. Um, and then obviously everything happens with him and he's gone. And then Chiefs just fill in with a bunch of guys you never heard of, right? With Daryl Williams. Who's uh, Damian Williams? I mean, Super Bowl hero Damian Williams. He's got a spot in, in Chiefs fans' hearts forever, um, and it's a guy you probably have never heard of before or after. Uh, but then here we go again. You know, fast forward a little bit. Jarek McKinnon, right? He's just had injury problems his whole career, and the Chiefs have used him perfectly, right? I mean, the the way he, he his ability to catch the ball to the backfield and his, and his ability to block um, on third downs, things like that. And then, of course, you got Pacheco, seventh-round rookie. I mean, how often are you going to get this kind of production out of a seventh-round rookie? It's just things, you know. All that to say, I I think when you look at the NFL and you look at the best running backs, and the guys who we really look at is like, man, they are really good. Uh, it, it always starts behind a good offensive line. Um, and it's This sounds oversimplified, but the best running backs in the league aren't the best running backs in the league without a good offensive line. That's just where it starts. Okay, so I say all that to say that I think because the Chief, Chiefs' offensive line has been solid is is a big part of why the running backs have been good, and they've been such a good story this season. Um, and, and I, you know, looking at these running backs, like I mentioned about McKinnon, I think the Chiefs used him perfectly. They were pretty – they used him relatively lightly – early on this year um, because they know of his injury history. They don't want him to play a full slate of games, kind of what it felt like. Um, and so they almost it almost felt like they eased him in as the season went on. And here we are, you know, early January heading into the playoffs, and Jarek McKinnon is playing the best ball of his career. 
you know, nine receiving touchdowns out of the backfield. I'm, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that's tied for the all-time record, right? And, and he really only played the second half of the season. But now he's just a touchdown machine, right? He looks like Walter Payton out there when he catches passes. And then you look at Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, I mean, what can you say? He, I mean, for a seventh-round rookie, he, he's as good as you could have expected him to be. Uh, same thing, a guy that didn't play a whole lot early on, uh, as he was learning the offense and getting kind of plugged in. But now, even with that, he, he's almost at 1,000 scrimmage yards in the season. And he's just a perfect fit for this offense. A guy who runs hard. He runs violent. You know, and he gets tackled and he pops up. He's just right back up. And it looks like he's going to get up and punch somebody. And it's and part of me is always hoping he does. You know, it's like, who's he? Oh, he's going to hit somebody. I'm like, oh, no, that's Pacheco. He's just getting. He's just running back to the huddle. It's almost like he, he, he seems to just have fun getting tackled. Like the contact, he just loves it. Um, and, and that's the type of mentality, the toughness that you need in the playoffs. And I think Pacheco is just a perfect fit for this Chiefs offense, who, uh, in my opinion, they're going to need to run the ball a little bit in the playoffs, um, especially if they play the Bengals. Um, and we can get to the, those matchups later. But one thing we've seen from the Bengals every time they've played is that the Bengals will like to drop eight, eight guys into coverage and only rush three. And when that's the case, when Mahomes is sitting back, as good as he is, when you've got eight eight guys guarding four or five players, I mean, of course there's nowhere to throw the ball. Of course his numbers are going to be down. But what do you do? Again, oversimplification, just run the ball. There's three guys rushing. you got five linemen, three of whom are in the Pro Bowl, and another one who probably could be against three defensive linemen who are, they're solid, they're, they're good players, but they're not going to eat up, you know, Three guys on five. It's five on three. It's simple. It's basic, basic math, right? You hand the ball off, pick up five yards of play. Um, but again, that's something. That's a matchup thing we can get into later. Um, but yeah, I, I love the running back room right now with the Chiefs. Um, they don't have any huge names. Uh, guys who are, I mean, not there's almost no money being spent on these guys right now in terms of their contracts. And so it, it puts the Chiefs in a great spot that they're giving this kind of production right um and it makes me i don't have really don't have any concerns about the offense um heading into the pl- playoffs outside of turnovers you know i think that's that's pretty pretty common pretty under commonly understood you know it's that you just you can't turn the ball over and we've seen that with the chiefs all year long and it's a big reason why they've had several games that should have been put away much earlier gone to overtime with the Texans or, you know, a tick, a last minute drive to beat the Broncos or a one score, whatever it may be, you know, they stop turning the football over. They'll be fine. Their offense is, is just their number one offense in the league for a reason. Uh, if they don't turn the ball over, I think they're in a great spot. Okay. Now we'll, now we'll flip to the other side. We're going to talk about the defense. Um, and you can't talk about the defense without starting with the ambassador of sack nation number 95 chris jones i mean he's that guy right he is on the short list i think he is a top 10 just overall defensive player in the nfl and i believe the the campaign that he's put up this year i think he he should be in the top five of defensive player of the year right i, I think you can only make an argument for for bosa for parsons uh, potentially max crosby Maybe maybe even T.J. Watt, based on the value he brings to that team. But I, 
I look at Chris Jones as a guy who's one of the five best defensive performances this season. Um, just an absolute unit there clogging up the middle. Um, but it, it's also interesting to see the way Spagnuolo uses him and the way he kind of moves around. It's almost like you never know where he's going to line up. He could line up at nose tackle. He could line up on the outside on one play, you know, and and he is just an absolute game wrecker. He, he, what he does a lot of times is in the first half, early on in the third quarter, he's still kind of moving around. He's, he's kind of figuring out where are these matchups, where's the weak spot on this offensive line. And when he figures that out and he finds the spot, you know, late on the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, that's we see it over and over again. He finds that matchup and he finds the weak spot and he just exploits it. And he just runs through it. He just runs through whoever that is. And he just wrecks the game for opposing defenses. Okay. And Chris, yeah, so Chris Jones is the motor of that defense. Um, the, you know, without him, they, they would be one of the worst defenses in the NFL, in my opinion. Um, and he is just so crucial to this team. Um, the ambassador of Sac Nation. And I think it's also fun to look at the, the other parts of the defensive line, especially Dunlap, who's had a really nice season. Um, seems to always have a hand, literally, on the play. You know, batting balls down here, like what feels like at least three or four times a game uh, when he's not able to get to the quarterback. He's got a hand up, knocking knocking passes down. Um, and same thing with Karloftis. I mean, what a good turnout. He, I mean, a good season he's produced, right? I mean... Uh, the Chiefs, you know, they they pick him. He, what are, what's everything saying? What were all the things said about him coming out of college? Like he's a high motor guy, right? He, he just he goes and goes. He's a he plays hard, um, and he absolutely has done that. And and honestly, when you look at the the production of his first season, very similar to Chris Jones, in that the sack numbers weren't necessarily there early on, um, but you could still feel the presence he was having. Like he was getting to the quarterback. Um, I, I say, as in like putting pressure on the quarterback, um, and, and a lot of batted balls. Um, but now you look at, he's got, again, I have to double check the number, but I believe he's got like six sacks in the last seven games or something along those lines. Like he's now, the sacks are starting to come. Um, and he's kind of wrecking, wrecking some offensive lines here as, as the season's gone on and putting it all together. Right. And so right now the chiefs front four looks very good. They are. I got to double check this. I believe they're in the, they're in the top three now of um, of for sacks on the season. Um, but what we do know is their defense has been a lot better, um, especially in the front because of the front four. In my opinion, their their defense is kind of figuring it out here down the stretch. Um, and as we kind of work back, we look at the linebackers. All right, been some hit or miss moments this year. Um, Willie Gay with the suspension, um, Nick Bolton and Willie Gay, though, in my opinion, they play so much better with each other. Um, as we know, Willie Gay is just a kind of a freak athlete. He has, and we've seen, we've seen glimpses of that throughout the year of his athleticism. Um, it's just not something you could teach. Just unbelievably gifted athlete. Um, and then you look at Nick Bolton, his counterpart, just kind of the brains of the operation, really the quarterback of the defense, um, number two in the NFL in tackles, number one in solo tackles, um, just one of those tackle machines, sideline to sideline. He is. It feels like he's there on every single play, regardless of where it's at. Um, a little weak in pass coverage, right? Um, but who's not? I mean, you look at around the NFL, the majority of linebacking court, it, that's not a strength of, of being a linebacker. But at the end of the day, They've played well. They play really well together. 
Um, they're usually in the right spot. Well, I say that Nick Bolton is usually in the right spot. Um, and he's not, he's not the athlete Willie Gay is, but, but there's a reason Willie Gay, uh, when, when Nick Bolton was drafted by the, uh, out of Missouri, um, a couple of years ago, what was, I guess last year, last season, well, he said, we got to go get Nick Bolton. Cause he knew, he knew what kind of, what kind of duo they could be. And with, with Willie Gay's athleticism paired with Nick Bolton's IQ and just his, his awareness and his, his mentality, I mean, they could be a great duo, right? They still got some improvements to make together, but um, I think they're getting it figured out. And then we look at the secondary, okay? Um, I mean, I love what I've seen, truly. Legereus Sneed has, has gone from kind of a Swiss Army knife, a fun, you know, situational blitzer here and there, um, slot corner, to arguably a top 10 corner in the NFL, and I think the numbers will back that up. Uh, well, I say that numbers, uh, the cornerback is one of the few positions where numbers aren't going to give you everything because a lot of times when you are a good corner and you're covering guys well, it means the ball is not going to get thrown at you. And I think that's kind of what we've seen a little bit from Legereus Sneed, who is, in my opinion, the second most important player on the defense behind Chris Jones um, and just absolutely needs to get paid this offseason. I mean, he's earned it. Um and so Legereus Need, as you know, I mean, early on, he was usually a slot corner. He, uh, Spagnuolo loved to bring, bring him on a blitz, um, and he was good at that. He's good, kind of a Swiss Army knife kind of guy, almost a Tyron Matthew type of role of you never know for sure where Legereus Need's going to go on the play. Um, and it was fun. You know, it's kind of a fun experiment way to use him early on. But what we've seen the past month or so, month plus, is Legereus needs now traveling with number one wide receivers, right? We saw it with DK Metcalf. We saw it with Devontae Adams. Um, and, you know, Lord knows there are some solid wide receiver ones in the playoffs um, that the Chiefs are likely going to face, especially uh, beyond the divisional round. Okay, Chargers have some solid receivers. Um, but you look at you look ahead to Cincinnati with, uh, with Jamar Chase, or Buffalo with Stephon Diggs, you know, that that's the way the Chiefs have been playing the last month. I feel more confident now. Legereus Sneed is going to be able to travel with whoever the, the, the opposing team's number one receiver is. Um, and not, I wouldn't say shut him down, right? You're not going to get any quarterback to come or corner to come in and just shut down a wide receiver one, but to be able to contain him, you know, to stop Jamar Chase. He had over 200 yards against the Chiefs last year. in in their regular season game or Gabe Davis who turned into Jerry Rice in the postseason against the Chiefs right um I think the Chiefs are a much better spot to be able to to combat that moving forward because number one Legereus Sneed he's traveling with wide receiver ones and then Trent McDuffie has also been great you know he he is he has the future the potential of also moving into a a cornerback one type of role I mean, he's just been, he's been great this year in coverage, uh, still waiting on that pick. He's had a few kind of slip in and out of his hands. It's unfortunate, but at the end of the day, he's not getting thrown out that much. And that's what you look for in your corners. All right. Like I said, it, it's not about the numbers necessarily as much for the corners, uh, but it's about almost the lack of, you know, how, how little does the quarterback have the option to throw at that corner? And we've seen that from McDuffie. He's not getting thrown out very much. And it's because he's 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 physical. He's up he's up in guys' face, and he's and he's hanging with them, and he's playing great. Um, 
and he he's hanging in there and he's he's shown great signs and i think it's a big reason why the chiefs defense is getting better as the season has gone on uh, because as we know, Trent McDuffie missed a handful of games at the beginning of the year, and they had to kind of figure out and plug in a, a, some other rookies here and there, where they maybe didn't necessarily want to. Um, but now McDuffie's settled in, uh, turning into a, a solid corner. Uh, Legarius Sneed is a CB one, um, and then you plug in Joshua Williams and um, Jalen Watson, two guys that have had great moments this year. Um, Right, they are. They're also both rookies. That's something we we forget about. I think of the these guys are rookies. They are still learning a a, a complex Spagnola defense, um, but they're they're doing well, right? And the I just personally I feel confident. You can line those guys up on any, you know, in, in the slot or or in the dot, like in a nickel, wherever you know requires for for the Spagnola defense. And and if they're lined up against a wide receiver two or three. I don't feel too bad about that. Truly, I think they've been—they've just been solid, um, especially being rookies and learning this defense as they go. Um, and so, again, all that to say, Chiefs defense—we know it's not. This isn't the '85 Bears. This isn't the 2000 Ravens. All right, but their defense is good enough that the Chiefs can win the Super Bowl if they are average. You know, if if they put pressure on the quarterback, maybe force a turnover. And that, sh- if we're being honest with ourselves, should be enough for the offense um, to to do what it does, you know. And so that's uh that's kind of where the defense is at. And the last thing I want to look at is the special teams. Um, and this one's been tricky, right? Dave Tobe, special teams coordinator for the Chiefs, has an absolute great track record over the years, consistently uh, ranked in the top five of best special teams units in the NFL. But this year, for whatever reason, they are maybe the worst. I mean, I know the Patriots have had some funky things going on with their special teams, but, I mean, they are no better than one of the five worst special teams in terms of what they've produced this season. And I think the number one things that come to mind, the number one thing that comes to mind is the punt returns, okay? This is, I mean... Maybe there's something I don't know, but this seems just so simple to me, right? Uh, it doesn't matter who, th- who you throw back there. Why do we even need to return? Why do we even need someone trying to catch it? I mean, if with all the muffed punts we've had, you know, Sky Moore, clearly not a returner. Great. Give it to the next guy. Uh, and we just, we keep having fumbles. We just can't figure out punt return for whatever reason. If the ball is punted inside of the 10 yard line, what? why do you, why are we anywhere near it? Okay. We're not the, this isn't. The Ravens, led by Tyler Huntley. Okay, we're not the Steelers. We're not Russell Wilson of the Broncos. We don't need a huge punt return to spark the offense. This is Patrick Mahomes. This is the best offense in the NFL, right? What's what are you gaining? The risk reward. It, the risk is so much bigger than the reward. On from what we've seen from this this punt return unit, of how many times they've lost fumbles and given up short short fields to an opposing offense whereas have we had a punt return go over 10 yards this year maybe maybe one or two i I don't think so but at the end of the day what's 10 yards if you have patrick mahomes i mean the odds of them not getting a first down are very low they are the best they've converted the most first downs in the nfl okay um and so all that to say man 
if you're going to put somebody back there, I don't care. Just catch the ball. Like, fair catch it. I don't care. If, if you're outside the 10 and, you, and you're and you there ready to catch it, catch the ball. Fair catch it. Let Mahomes and the offense be, them, be themselves. Let the offense be the offense. Um, and if it's inside the 10, shoot. If it's even inside the 15, let it go. Like, if it rolls in the end zone, if it rolls into the end zone, great. You got a touchback. If they down it at the three-yard line, okay. You know, you have a long field. We really don't we don't feel confident that Mahomes and the offense can go the length of the field. Have we never seen that before? I mean, come on. Let's come on. Uh, we've seen it more than enough times. We don't need to be worried about it. Um, and on the flip side, too, we I mean, the Chiefs have the best punter in the NFL. You look at the numbers. He's number two all time in average net yards per punt this season. Like he is in the Pro Bowl for a reason, likely going to be all pro best punter in the NFL right now. Um, if you don't believe me, just look at the numbers. Okay. Um, I mean, Tommy Townsend has been an absolute unit and a force. <laughs> I mean, just a great weapon, uh, which is kind of funny because the chiefs of all teams probably need the best punter the least, right. For how little they punt the ball and how often they score. Uh, but they still have it, right? When when things aren't clicking sometimes, you know, um, and that happens. It's the NFL. You're playing professionals. Sometimes you need to be able to punt the ball. And the Chiefs have that guy as well, a punter, funny funny enough. And, and so, again, we look back at the punt returns. The field position battle should not be a worry about, for the Chiefs. As good as their offense is, as good as the punter has been, they should not be so worried and risking so much for the, the potential to maybe pick up 12 on a return. Like you just, it's not worth it. You don't need it. Get away from the ball or fair catch it, give it to Mahomes and let him go to work. Okay. Um, I feel strongly about that. If you haven't, if you haven't picked up on that. Um, so thankful for Tommy Townsend and his cannon of a leg. Um, and then, you know, also looking at Harrison Butker, obviously there's some question marks there. Um, Dustin Colquitt likes to say it was Tommy Townsend with the holes. Here's the deal. Harrison Butker is number two all time in the NFL in kicking in field goal percentage. He's one of the best kickers the Chiefs ever had. I mean, just the clutch that kicks we've seen from him over the years. We know he can do it. We know he's got the ability. Um, and so when we, you know, we're going to talk about a, a missed hold. The hold is, oh, it's three inches farther to the right than it should have stop i mean let's be real here he's a professional kicker he sees the ball you see ball you kick ball like i I, I don't know i know that's easier said than done i i couldn't do that but there's a lot of things uh in the nfl that i I couldn't do (laughs) i mean majority i I, there's probably nothing on a football field uh that these guys are doing that i could do um and it's not my job it's his job he's the kicker um, and he's paid to make the kicks um, and if the ball is placed an inch or two to the right or to the left of where it's supposed to be, I don't care. The ball, you see the ball and you kick the ball, right? Um, maybe that sounds harsh. Uh, I don't know. But w- w- what we do know about Harrison Butker, he's been dealing with injuries all year, right? He missed a handful of games early on. And in my opinion, the, the re- him being out is the reason they lost to the Colts. Uh, obviously, the, the offense really struggled in that one. Um, back when the Colts were still somewhat relevant um, and they kind of had the Chiefs number that day. But at the end of the day, Matthew Wright, you know, he, he, he comes in and no, I'm just kidding. 
who was that? Maybe it's that Amendola. See, I don't even remember. I can't even tell you who the kicker was that day. Uh, but but he came in and, and and missed a field goal, missed an extra point, and then kind of forced the Chiefs' hand, Andy Reid's hand, into doing a fake field goal on fourth down. Uh, when you add up all those points, the missed extra point, missed field goal, that's four. The Chiefs lost by four in that game, uh, and they didn't convert on that extra, on that uh, fake field goal. Okay, and so it's one of those things. If you have a Harrison Butker. A healthy Harrison Butker in that game. I feel very confident the Chiefs, although they didn't play well, win that game. Um, and then we're looking at a, a 15 and two team, where you know they they have home field advantage even regardless of any uh, situation with the Bills come AFC Championship game. But that's really no, here here nor there. They lost to the Colts. Um, Harrison Butker's had some issues this year, and I think it's very much because of injuries that have just been lingering. Um, he, he's looked better the last few weeks. Uh, which is it's encouraging, and at the end of the day, we've seen him do this in the playoffs, right? The 13 second game, you know, the Chiefs go all the way down in a field goal range in 13 seconds, but they still it it requires a 45. Forgot the number off the top of my head, somewhere in the 40s, 40 plus yard field goal that he has to make in that moment in the freezing cold, or else the the whole 13 second thing goes by the wayside. It doesn't even matter, right? And and that was maybe the the, the highest pressure kick of his career, and it was just nails. Right, and he's he's been that his whole career. When they've needed him in the postseason, he's nails. Okay, <laughs> and and that's the uh, that's that's why I feel good about Harrison Butker, especially with another week off. Give him a little bit more rest, uh, moving forward, and um, I'm not too worried about it. The kicking game, special teams. Here's the here's the bottom line with the Chiefs: Can they win it all? Absolutely, they can win it all. Right? If you ask me, the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. Uh, not not the most talent all the way across the board, but they have that guy at quarterback. They've got that guy at tight end. We've seen that before. There, there's no question marks there. They've got a good, one of the best offensive lines in football. Um, the defense is figuring it out. The pass rush is figuring it out. They are top five in the NFL in sacks. Um, and a lot of those have been coverage sacks because the, the, the secondary has been solid. Okay. Ultimately, you guys, what this is going to come down to is can the Chiefs take care of the ball? Can they take care of the ball? Right, we look at the Bills. They, they, they lost that game on an interception by Mahomes at the end, where Von Miller um, pressured, um, just kind of wrecked that game and forced Mahomes out of the pocket, um, made him throw a bit of an errand pass to uh, kind of seal up the game. Same thing with the Bengals. We're going back and forth the whole game. Um, Chiefs have a chance to go take the lead in the fourth quarter. Travis Kelsey fumbles the ball. Bengals score and. You could just kind of tell at that point in the game. I mean, it was essentially over um, based on the, the, some of the matchups with the Bengals' offense. It, whatever. Chiefs fumbled the ball and kind of gave it away. And we saw so many turnovers all year long. Um, game in, game out. Chiefs, teams they're better than, um, you know, they're, they're staying in the game because the Chiefs are turning the ball over. Um, and so Chiefs got to stay away from that, obviously. If they protect the ball, uh, don't give up huge, massive plays. Uh, make their kicks. That's gonna. That's what it's gonna come down to. Chiefs. Chiefs offense. We can rely on. We know what they are. Um, defense. Obviously, still some question marks. Um, but they've shown signs. Okay. Um, so if they don't get burnt for 200 yards by Gabe Davis, um, and they don't turn the ball over, whether it's on offense or on special teams, and they make their kicks, Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. Okay, you can look back at this. It's Wednesday, January 11th. 
Uh, we'll, t we'll check some stats. We'll check the, the game logs as they go on. Um, but if the Chiefs take care of the ball, if they make their kicks, and they don't give up massive plays defensively, they're going to win the Super Bowl. Um, and I sure hope they do it. Right? So that's kind of where the Chiefs are at right now in my eyes. Um, we'll jive sorry we'll dive in some more next week as uh, the chiefs are preparing for their divisional round game against most likely the winner of the chargers and the jaguars um and so we'll get to that at that point um and the last thing i want to talk about this is going to be very brief um but i just got a something i want to drop in and kind of plant the seed of what's going on in the college football playoff world <laughs> uh man Kid, I mean, just look at the SEC. It is kind of ridiculous. Um, it is clearly, it is just that conference is head and shoulders above every other conference, and it's really not even close. Um, and we've seen that. I mean, we saw that before the college football playoff started. We saw that especially since the college football playoff started. Um, and as we know, they're planning to move to 12 teams moving forward. Um, what I'm hoping to see is all, you know, all the, the power conferences, the the team that wins their conference championship gets an automatic bid, you know, similar to the, the basketball tournament. But we see the power five teams get in uh, with a guaranteed mid-major team getting in, whether it's a Cincinnati, a UCF, whoever that team is that year. Uh, I think this year probably would have been Tulane. Um, maybe, most likely, I have to double check that. But, um, you know, giving mid-major teams a chance to... Um, but as we know, it's most likely going to move the 12 teams. And I'm here to tell you guys, nothing's going to change. Okay? Uh, it's it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be four or five SEC teams getting in of these 12 teams. And and we're going to get to a, play, a point now. It's going to be Georgia, Alabama, you know, the occasional LSU, um, the occasional Auburn maybe of whatever. Just these teams that L, uh, out of the SEC who... Um, are just so much better than every other team, and it's really not close, right? We look at the playoffs from this year. Obviously, Georgia had the close game to Ohio State. I think that's more about Georgia not totally being prepared um, because we saw, I mean, we all saw the Ohio State-Michigan game. It wasn't close. Uh, and, and in my opinion, sure, you look at the resume, you look at the record, yeah, Ohio State should have been in at 11-1. and one. But if you look at, I mean, if let's just be honest, like let's just be honest with ourselves. Can we can we do that? Can we quit trying to act like we do, we got to go off this record or whatever? I, I just come on. We've seen this from Alabama. We know this is Nick Saban. This is Bryce Young coming off of Heisman Trophy, and, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty looking back. But I mean, are, are we, do we really honestly believe like Michigan, TCU, or Ohio State has a, had a realistic chance of beating Georgia? I mean, honestly, if you if, if I asked you. Honestly, right now, who's the the one team in college football you think that would be able to compete with Georgia in a neutral site college football playoff game? Who's the one team? If your answer isn't Alabama, you're wrong. I, I'm sorry. It, it's just not it. It just it's Alabama, <laughs> um, and and that's why th there's just a flawed system. So I like that they're expanding the playoff. Um, I think they got to be careful not to expand it too much. Um, and that's because it's just going to start to get chaotic and too many games, guys getting hurt, um, guys with their pro stock, all that, all that good stuff. But, um, 
I mean, did you enjoy any? Did anyone enjoy watching Georgia beat TCU sixty-five to seven? Did any, did anybody enjoy that? I mean, I didn't. I I I couldn't. I mean, you know, I have a hard time believing Alabama is going to lose sixty-five to seven to Georgia in a playoff scenario. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few stats, some of the records over the course of the college football playoff, um, and I'm, we're going to just go over how these teams are doing. Okay, uh, I'm going to go from bottom to top, and we're going to look at who's doing what. So the independent, right? Notre Dame, they're own one. The American Athletic Conference which was Cincinnati, is 0-1. The Pac-12 is 1-2. Remember, Oregon had that win in the semifinal in the first year, um, but since they are 1-2. The Big 12 is now 1-5. Um, right, TCU, obviously, their first win. Uh, the Big 12's first win in a playoff game came, coming this year. Um, and then getting just turn, just turn around and getting boat raced by Georgia. Absolutely annihilated. Um, and the Big 12... Is one and five in the playoff. So the Big Ten is three and seven, and uh, you'll remember Ohio State won that first championship um, in the first college football playoff. So that was two wins there. So if you take that out, they're one and seven. I, I mean, you know, their Big Ten is not Big Ten and Big Twelve really having some issues in the college football playoff. Uh, the ACC pretty much carried by Clemson. Uh, they are six and six in the college football playoff. And they had that that string of a few years with Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence, obviously, um, to, to get the, the ACC up to six and six. And then here's the one: <laughs> the SEC folks, sixteen and five in the college football playoff. Okay, sixteen and five, and that includes, I believe, it's two of those losses are are to each other, right? We had the the Tua game few years ago where they beat Georgia and then Georgia beating Alabama last year in the the championship. So of those five losses that SEC has, two of those have come to other SEC teams. Okay. So uh, there's your, your landscape of college football of the SEC is playing in a different sport right now. It's almost like the, the SEC is the MLB and the rest of the conferences. You've got your AAA, your AA, single A. You've got the, your Big 12 is the as your rookie ball league, whatever. I'm being facetious here. But at the end of the day, we, we know the SEC is in a class of its own. Um, and so I think we're going to see that play out as, as the college football is expanded to 12 teams. We're going to see three, four, maybe even five SEC teams get in, and they're just going to boat race everybody. Um, so buckle up. We're going to have some SEC versus SEC championships in the future. It's what everybody wanted, I'm sure. Um, and that's where we're at. So... Guys, that's going to do it for episode one of the Been There, Done That podcast. Uh, thank you for those of you who listened. Um, I'm hoping in the coming weeks to possibly get some students, uh, some of the guys that I work with, onto the podcast and get some of their takes. Um, and I just got to say, prepare yourselves because there are some of those that make me want to pull my hair out. Um, but that's just part of the fun of working with students. Um, and they're, they're, they're some great guys. Um, and it's going to be a fun time. So, um, I've enjoyed this. Uh, I could keep talking all day if I really wanted to, but I gotta—I know I gotta keep it shorter um, than that. I can't just go all day. Uh, but thank you for listening, um, and I will see you next time.